Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Keyboard Kimura Podcast. Here on a Monday kind of early afternoon in Abbotsford, British Columbia, Canada. I am Spencer Kite, of course. What I want to talk about today is sort of... Bear with me because it's going to take a little bit of getting into it. It's going to take a little bit of explaining and walking through it. But the gist of it is the kind of general query that I have is what makes a fighter someone that media members and and people very much inside the MMA bubble rally around and instantly sort of commit to and and want to see more from versus someone else. So what got me thinking about this is Saturday night, Kevin Holland goes out, gets his second straight victory since moving to welterweight, second straight stoppage win over Tim Means, good finish, Darce choke, as Harry and I talked about on Sunday, you know, really showed some, some improvements, really showed some positive things, goes out, finishes the dirty bird, and there's this flood for of, of calls for let's get Kevin Holland into the top 15. Let's get him a fight. He's shown that he can hang with the best in the division. Let's get him in there with some of these guys. And my immediate thought being that I've always been pretty skeptical and, and pretty hesitant on Kevin Holland, having watched his career from the Contender Series all the way through to this point, was that we don't have that reaction and we didn't have that reaction when other people defeated Tim Means in similar, if not more impressive fashion. And the name that jumped out to me immediately was Daniel Rodriguez. Again, like Kevin Me, like Kevin Holland, a guy that fought on the Contender Series but didn't get a contract, then got a short notice opportunity for Rodriguez. It was against Tim Means. It was in Tim Means' home state of New Mexico. He goes out. He gets a submission victory. I believe it was a guillotine choke in his promotional debut. Yeah, second round guillotine choke. So very similar to what the Kevin Holland fight was. Second round finish. Hollands was a little bit quicker. Um, but goes out, gets the second round finish against Tim Means on short notice in his home state. And it's crickets. Nobody after that performance went, hey, let's get this guy. And I understand that, sure, we have the sort of history with Kevin Holland, right? The five fight winning streak that vaulted him into, into the spotlight in 2020 that everybody sort of used as the, this guy is, is the next big thing when, you know, if you want to go back and scrutinize those victories and talk about those victories, we certainly can. And that's not to take away from the value of a five fight winning streak, but not all five fight winning streaks are created different podcast for another day. With Daniel Rodriguez, I think the part that's interesting to me in comparison to Kevin Holland, who is now just two fights into his welterweight career and sort of trading off that success and only the success parts that people are are remembering from middleweight is that since that fight with Tim Means, Daniel Rodriguez has gone five and one. His lone loss is a unanimous decision defeat at UFC 255 to Nicholas Dalby, who is a very good, very experienced fighter. And last time out on short notice, he went out and beat Kevin Lee, who is a guy that everybody has been kind of in on to various degrees and even still now while he's fighting in Eagle FC as somebody that always had a little bit of potential, always had sort of the look of of someone that could be a contender. And yet 
in rattling off those victories and in earning three straight wins capped by that Kevin Lee victory, we still don't hear a big push to let's get Daniel Rodriguez one of those top 15 fights. And so I'm curious to kind of try to unpack what it is about Kevin Holland or fighters in the Kevin Holland mold that get that benefit, that get that that earn them that push or that designation from hardcore fans and media that this is a guy now that we need to rush along and continue to follow. Because for me, it doesn't compute. When I say it doesn't compute, here's what I mean. Allow me to kind of unpack it a little bit. Kevin Holland has looked excellent in his two fights at welterweight. Not trying to take anything away from him for that. Victories over Means and Alex Oliveira are very good victories. We know the quality of those fighters. We know the level of those fighters. And so getting finishes over each is absolutely a marker that Kevin Holland remains a talented competitor, right? Remains a guy that has shown some upside, that has shown some some positive skills. You know, not yet 30. He'll be 30 towards the end of the year. So a guy that certainly has some upside. But the thing that doesn't compute about the let's get him into the top 15, let's get him in there against some of these ranked opponents at welterweight because we've seen him do it at middleweight is that the run at middleweight, and and I say this with the utmost respect to these gentlemen whose names I'm going to rattle off, wasn't exactly this like beating a, a murderer's row of talent. It's Anthony Fluffy Hernandez in a terrific performance. Um, in Jacksonville, Florida, right? Marches into the cage. None of the Kevin Holland flashy, showboaty, talky stuff. Just goes, walks across the cage, knees him in the midsection, crumples him. Great win. It's Joaquin Buckley on eight days notice in his promotional debut where he gets him out of there in the third round. Joaquin Buckley, a guy that I think has talent, but has also shown his limitations in the UFC. Then it's a split decision victory over Darren Stewart. Darren Stewart is a tough out. He is a grimy fighter. He is a guy that always fights you hard, but he's also a guy that is currently no longer in the UFC because he struggled to have consistency in the UFC middleweight division without ever getting past sort of that middle of the pack. Then it's a slam on Charlie Ontiveros, who subsequently dropped down a division or maybe even two divisions, I think. Um, and is no longer in the UFC. And then it's the win over Jacques Ray, who, listen, is an absolute legend, is a guy that was one of the best middleweights in the world for a very, very long time. But I don't think he was that guy going into that fight at UFC 256 in December 2020 when Kevin Holland beats him in ridiculous fashion by stinging him from his back and then kind of clamoring up and, and knocking him out while they're both still very much on the ground. The other part of that is that we have 2021 to look at where Kevin Holland, sure, made it into the rankings and made it into the top 15 at middleweight. And if you listen to Sean Sheehan and I on the State of the Union at all, you understand Sean's position on middleweight. I think it is somewhat valid that it is one of the weaker divisions in the UFC, if not the weakest division in the UFC in terms of overall depth of talent and level of skill within that division but in 2021 he creeped you know he makes his way into the rankings with that 2020 year 
and he goes in and he gets these opportunities against Derek Brunson, which is a loss, which is an embarrassing loss, where he didn't really want to fight back and fend off the takedown attempts. Followed by the quick turnaround against Marvin Vittori, where it again is one-way traffic. And if you want to say, sure, Marvin Vittori goes on to challenge for the title and is, is a top five, kind of top seven guy at middleweight, I will absolutely listen. Same goes for Derek Brunson in terms of being a top 10 guy. But what those two performances show me is that while Kevin Holland may have had a number next to his name, it wasn't a number that was going to be above 10. He went out in his next fight, he took a couple months off and, and actually went and tried to learn some wrestling and develop some wrestling and, and work on those deficiencies. He took a fight in early October against Kyle Dawkins that ends with the clash of heads, ends with a submission, is then deemed a no contest based on the clash of heads. But even in the two minutes before that clash of heads that shifts the, the tenor of that fight, Kyle Dawkins is winning the clinch exchanges. And while I'm extremely high on Kyle Dawkins and, and think a lot of him despite the loss on Saturday or in spite of the loss on Saturday, he too is not somebody yet that has proven himself to be a world-class competitor or even a guy that should carry a number next to his name at middleweight. And yet, despite those three consecutive appearances without a victory... Kevin Holland goes to welterweight and gets the benefit of, well, we saw him ranked at middleweight. Let's give him the push by beating veteran guys, but veteran mid-pack guys at welterweight. And it feels like that isn't extended to very many other people. It certainly hasn't been extended to Daniel Rodriguez after he beat Tim Means and four other kind of veteran, solid, middle-of-the-pack fighters or three other veteran solid middle of the pack fighters in the welterweight division and then Kevin Lee on short notice himself a former title challenger albeit at lightweight but a guy that a lot of people again a lot of people within this bubble that are pushing for Kevin Holland to get these greater opportunities were pushing at one point or another as well and so the thing I'm always trying to figure out with it is what is it about Kevin Kevin Holland that earns him I guess that sway that earns him that push that earns him that clout with people within the MMA bubble within the tighter MMA sphere that I don't see that I don't recognize that doesn't resonate or connect to me. I think some of it is is just the personality, right? I think a lot of people are engaged by and drawn to this guy that goes in the cage and talks during fights. And is somebody that, you know, has been on Ariel's show a few times talking about his, you know, suburban crime fighting exploits, which apparently stopped another robbery this week, last week, prior to his fight. And is somebody that's out there on IG and is out there on, on Twitter kind of getting involved and engaging people. And I get that from a wider audience standpoint. And to a lesser extent, I get it within, within the tighter bubble, within the hardcore set, within the, the sort of just the MMA community itself as well. But I, I, I always struggle with this because at the end of the day, and maybe, you know, maybe I'm alone in this and maybe this is another one of those things where Spencer is over on an island, but personality 
is never going to outweigh performance for me. So he can be, and he certainly is, an engaging personality. But until he shows the performance that merits these opportunities, that merits this push, that, that shows he's fixed these deficiencies and can actually hang with the guys in the top 15 and, and a guy like Sean Brady that he calls out, I don't know that I'm necessarily as in as everybody else. I, I mean, in fact, I know that I'm not as in as anybody else because the personality part of it and the the talkative nature in the cage doesn't mean anything to me. It doesn't do anything for me. I just want to see how this guy performs. And granted, Saturday night, he performed excellently. Really impressed with what we saw. Did well in those clinch situations and in the couple times where Tim Means kind of dragged him to the canvas to quickly get up to make some good adjustments, to make some good decisions in there where previously he made bad decisions. There's no denying his finishing instinct and his finishing abilities. As as soon as he recognizes that he has Tim Means hurt, he goes even more on the offensive. He steps on the gas and goes forward and puts Tim Means in a position where he's got to make bad choices and leaves his neck exposed and gets finished. Those are great things. Those are very positive things. But doing that to Tim Means doesn't make me sit here on Saturday night and go, let's get him in there with a top 15 guy. Let's get him in there with Sean Brady. Let's get him in there with somebody that has a number next to their name because I know what most of those people with numbers next to their name needed to do in order to get there. Shavkat Rachmanov, who fights on Saturday against Neil Magny, did the same thing to Alex Oliveira in his debut as Kevin Holland did in his welterweight debut. Did it faster, in fact. Went out, choked him out in the first round, and nobody after that fight was saying, let's get Shavkat Rachmanov into, a top into the top 15 and into a matchup with one of these guys. He had to go out and finish two more fighters, Michelle Prezeris and Carlston Harris, who he knocked out this, this February with a spinning back kick that was, a spinning hook kick, sorry, that was beautiful. And it took those three wins for this guy that's undefeated, that's 27 years old, that shows all of the intangibles and measurables to be a legitimate contender in this division to get there, to get an opportunity. And it took being offered and paired off with the one guy in the division that says yes to everybody and Neil Magny, who understands I got to fight everybody if I want to go forward. If I want to get to these bigger matchups that I want, I have to continue to be the guy that says yes to the Rachmanovs of the world and be the guy that raises my hand to fight the Hamzat Chemayevs of the world when Dana White is out saying nobody wants to fight this guy, nobody's volunteering to fight this guy. But we didn't see people within the industry or, or many people within the industry rushing forward to say, let's get this guy who is quiet, who doesn't have an IG presence, who is not from North America, the same opportunity that people are rushing to give and rushing to advocate for for Kevin Holland. And if it is that personality piece, if it is that charisma that Kevin Holland clearly has, then so be it. And, and it's just one of those things where, where I'm in the minority and I'm, you know, again, an outlier in these conversations. But I do tend to think there's a little bit more to it. So if you read any of my Kevin Holland pieces in 2021, uh, the first one entitled The Kevin Holland Conundrum. The second one, fittingly titled, 
The conundrum continues. You you know that you know my position on Kevin Holland, which is from the very outset of his UFC career, even going back to his contender series fight, he has been a guy that is happy to fight how he wants to fight, even if that means he's in fights that are closer than they need to be and he doesn't necessarily perform to the level of his skills and expectations we may have for him. I think coming out of that 2020 run where he became kind of the breakout fighter that everybody thought came out of nowhere in that year, as if his previous UFC fights hadn't happened, one of the things that happened, and we saw it going into the Derek Brunson fight, was the UFC put together a package and there was a piece cut together about Dana White saying, I didn't want to sign this guy because he's in there and he's yapping and he's doing all these things and he didn't look engaged. And, and people used that and there were folks that wanted to jump onto that. And it felt to me as a kind of Trojan horse, as a way to to shoehorn in some some hatred, some, you know, tisk-tisking at Dana White for, oh my God, can you believe he didn't want to sign this guy simply because he talks too much? And while that was the little soundbite in there, if you went back and watched Kevin Holland's fight on Dana White's Contender Series, you wouldn't have advocated for fighting for signing him either. If you had watched his performance against Will Santiago Jr., you wouldn't have come away from that fight saying, that's a guy that deserves to be in the UFC. That's a guy that merits the opportunity to fight amongst the best in the world because it was a kind of lackluster, lackadaisical effort from a guy that clearly was better than Will Santiago Jr. He went out there and kind of just played with him. He, he performed the way he performed in some of his early UFC fights. It was reminiscent to the John Phillips, the Gerald Mearshart, the Alessio de Chirico fights, all of which were victories for him. And so kudos to him for getting those wins. I still think Mearshart beat him. But each of those fights were closer than they needed to be in terms of skill and talent and ability because Kevin Holland, for lack of a better way to put it, occasionally likes to play with his food rather than just going out there cleaning his plate and going home. And so I think that is a piece of it. And again, if I'm wrong, if that is a, a bad read or a misremembrance of the situation, please jump in the comments, jump on Twitter, let me know. I'm, I'm absolutely and always here for further discussions and conversations about these things. That's part of what I love about our community and these opportunities. But I do think that was part of it. I think he became an avatar for people that wanted to look at Dana White and say, this guy doesn't know what he's doing or to use that against the UFC, the big bad UFC that people always want to constantly batter for every wrong decision or every perceived slight and so he then kind of continues to carry that and and despite the poor results that otherwise would have you know cost people that clout and cost people that push kevin holland somehow maintained it right somehow through those bad performances and they were bad performances against Derek brunson and marvin vittori bad performances he's carried it through down to welterweight where he beats as i've said a couple times now two very good veteran guys that are 
entrenched in the middle of the division, maybe the, the upper middle class of the division. And suddenly there's this push and it's not the same for so many fighters. It's not a thing that exists for so many fighters. And the thing of it that that's always interesting to me, and that is part of the confusion or the, the reason for this podcast and the questions, is because I don't necessarily think the performance is of the same level of some of the performances we see for these athletes that don't get that benefit, that don't get that push. And I'm trying to wrap my mind around and wrap my head around and understand what the difference is and why that dichotomy exists. I do think part of it is absolutely that MMA is both sport and entertainment, and we are seeing that the entertainment side of it, with a lot of people in a lot of ways, wins out over the sporting side of it. Performance is always important, but if you can mix personality with performance, it is going to carry you further than performance alone. We see that with Holland, we see that with the reaction to this weekend's main event coming up between Armin Saryukin and Matoish Gamrat, who are two people whose personalities have not resonated, have not crossed over with North American audiences, but whose performances have been outstanding. They have numbers next to their name, yet they're not the personalities that have resonated with a, with a larger audience. And so they were deemed a few weeks ago to be not suitable for a main event, not big enough names to be main events, despite the fact that they are otherworldly talents. Conversely, we have Holland, who has, at, at, at most, and maybe people will want to take issue with this, but at most has shown that he is capable of being a fighter that, that survives and, and lives in the lower third of the middleweight division. But I would even argue he hasn't quite shown that, right? Like, he didn't beat any ranked fighters to get in there. And then once he started fighting ranked fighters, it went poorly and he left the division. And yet we're still here saying, give him ranked fighters. He's shown he can beat ranked fight. He's shown he should be in there with ranked fighters. And I, I just don't get it. I really just don't get it. And I get that the personality side of it and the, you know, charisma and magnetism of Kevin Holland draws some people to him. And maybe, maybe it's my constant desire in, in my profession and in life in general for there to be everything, things to be equitable. There to be sort of this balance between everybody gets the same and I know it's naive and I know it makes me sound woefully optimistic and, and ridiculously optimistic, as Harry said on Sunday. But that's that's a thing that just sticks with me is is Holland gets this benefit of the doubt and he gets this push and he gets this love and support and saw people that I that I know, that I consider friends, that I respect in their opinions, jump out on Saturday and say, get him in there with somebody in the top 15. And my instant reaction is, what has he done to show that he merits those opportunities? Who has he beaten? Because right now, I don't know that I, I favor him against guys that are stationed outside of the top 15 still. And we'll get into a couple of those. Yet alone, think he has the opportunity to beat a guy like Sean Brady, who he called out. And look, to me, there's no reason for Sean Brady to take that fight outside of needing to stay active and wanting to stay active. 
I think Sean Brady runs through him. And people can say, well, if you think he runs through him, then then why doesn't he just take the fight and get the win and get the money? And maybe that's the decision that Sean Brady ends up making. But after having fought ahead and beaten a guy in Michael Chiesa that earned him another victory in the UFC and carried him forward even further into the rankings, I don't know that you fight backwards out of the rankings. If you're Sean Brady and you're going to fight backwards, it's maybe one or two spots in the rankings as opposed to somebody who hasn't proven yet that he even deserves, that he's even, you know, capable of being in the rankings, of working his way into the rankings in this division. And if you want to say, well, he did it at middleweight, I again will say, who did he beat to get there? It was a volume thing. And we hear and see and, and talk all the time that, you know, quality of wins is as important, if not more important, than quantity of wins. And yet Kevin Holland is getting this benefit based on quantity. If you look at Kevin Holland's career in the UFC, and again, I say this with the utmost respect for all of the people he's beaten, but he's lost to the best fighters he's faced. I would argue that the four best fighters he's faced are Tiago Santos, Brendan Allen, Derek Brunson, and Marvin Vittori, and he lost to all of them. Now, Tiago Santos is short notice. He is an absolute juggernaut. He went up after that and eventually challenged for the light heavyweight title. So fine, give him a pass on that. Brendan Allen hasn't advanced beyond that, you know, doorstep of the top 20, top 15 yet in the middleweight division. He's coming off, you know, a, a middling performance against Jacob Malkoon a couple weeks ago in Singapore. Has kind of been up and down, but ran through Kevin Holland in Boston. Submitted him in the second round. We have the winning streak. Then comes Brunson. Then comes Vittori. Then comes Dawkins, and now we're at welterweight. And so to argue that Kevin Holland has proven anything feels kind of shaky ground to me. And if if the proving is the five-fight winning streak and then the wins at, at middle at welterweight, excuse me, why doesn't that carry over for other people that have comparable wins and comparable divisions against comparable fighters? Why don't they get that push? Why don't they get that? advocacy from fan from hardcore fans and media when they put these performances together so in the wake of that win on saturday when people are calling for some people are calling for a top 15 opponent and and pushing the sean brady fight or whatever opportunity it may be i think i tweeted out three names of people that i would like to see him fight it was randy brown it was Jake Matthews. I can't remember the third off the top of my head, but let's throw Andre Fialo out there, who just fought and lost to Jake Matthews. Let me see Kevin Holland go out there and beat one of those guys. The other name, I, I've hit pause here and gone to search it out, is, is Nico Price. That was the third name I had originally put in there. And I mean, to even throw another one in there, a guy that we've already talked about, let me see him beat Daniel Rodriguez. Nobody's advocating for Daniel Rodriguez, but he's 5-1 and one in the division. We know the level he's at. Let me see Kevin Holland go out and beat one of these guys. And I'll tell you right now, he's a coin flip to me against Daniel Rodriguez. I don't think he beats Jake Matthews, who looked absolutely phenomenal in the fight with Andre Fialo and is a 27-year-old kid that we have been waiting on to see if he would ever reach, this full, reach his full potential. And I think we saw at UFC 275 that he's getting closer. Randy Brown is a guy that, you know, came through one of these 
these Dana White audition kind of opportunities and is starting to put it together as well, right? And, and matches Kevin Holland in some of the things like length and ability to work from the outside and desire to work from the outside and is 5-1 and one in his last six fights with his only loss coming against Vicente Luque. Nico Price, perennially entertaining, forever entertaining and aggressive and a guy that's going to get up in Kevin Holland's grill and take some, take some shots to give some shots. Let me see if Kevin Holland can beat one of those guys before we give him that top 15 cosign. Because we haven't given any of those, those fighters that I've mentioned that cosign. We didn't give Andre Fialo that cosign when he went out and fought Michel Pajera close in his debut and then had two great wins. And so I just, I'm again, I'm constantly trying to figure out what the sort of reasoning and how these things work and what the logic is behind some people getting a cosign and others not. Some people being pushed and others not. Especially given that the, the constant refrain amongst hardcore fans and media is this need to create and build and see more stars. If Kevin Holland is a guy that people have, have decided is someone they want to see be a star and grow into greater opportunities cool I, I get it I see it I understand it what is it that keeps these other athletes from getting that same recognition that same opportunity is it the the personality side of things is it the exposure side of things where the UFC has elevated him into a main event opportunity a couple of times and put together a VT on him about going out and wanting to spend his money on shoes and cars and what not before he looked terrible against Derek Brunson? Is that what is that what's missing? Is is kind of a UFC cosign because even that feels weird because there are so many times that we hear the UFC doesn't do this enough, but then you're jumping on with the guys that the UFC has clearly jumped in with and and decided to get behind. I don't understand why there is always it feels to me. This need for the UFC or even media members at times to tell people who the fighters are they should follow because the efforts and the performance in the cage are there for us every Saturday to watch and to track and to remember and to pull up on Fight Pass or wherever they may be to remind ourselves of them. And yet this group that that claims to ride or die or live live on Saturdays to watch these fights doesn't seem to know a bunch of these people until they resonate in other ways or until the UFC gives them that check mark of approval or another media member or enough media members give them that check mark of approval. And it just, it has never and will never, I, I think, make any sense to me. And so I don't know if anybody will answer my, my question here, answer my plea for greater understanding. But if you have ideas and if you have insights and thoughts, I would love to hear them. I am all ears because this is a thing that is endlessly fascinating to me. I know that I pay attention to a greater degree than most. I know that I track fighters and watch fighters from an earlier point than most. I know that there are few people that want to pour through 
all the results and all the events over the course of a year and keep track of stats and names and numbers and things like that so that at the start of the next year, they can write multi-part features on fighters to watch that end up totaling, you know, more than a third of the active UFC roster, not including Dana White Contender Series graduates from season five this year. And so it's weird to me when, as the guy that that pays attention to that degree and to that level and thinks he has a pretty good read on things, we see people and I see people jump behind someone like Kevin Holland and have this rush to push and promote and advance someone like Kevin Holland, who has thus far only ever shown us that he is this good. He is as good as he has shown us right now. He is as good as we saw on Saturday. There has been no indication that he is better than this level. And if you want to say, look, he beat Jacques Ray, Jacques Ray is better than Tim Means. Sure, the best version of Jacques Ray was absolutely better than Tim Means ever was. Was absolutely better than Alex Cowboy Oliveira ever was. But the version of Jacques Ray that Kevin Holland beat was not the best version of Jacques Ray. If we're going to do the... I mean, this is a perfect set. This this sets up perfectly, and I hadn't even actually thought of it until just now. So we're we're in the moment of this. If we're going to do the, well, Kevin Holland beat Jacare, and Jacare is a le- legend. Let's advance him. Well, then where's the where was the advancement for Andre Muniz, who beat Jacare in his next fight and beat him, you know, at his own game, snapping his snapping his arm and sending him into retirement. Muniz was a guy that coming off that win, people forgot about him until he fought in December and, and snapped Eric Anders' arm as well, or sorry, submitted Eric Anders as well with a first-round armbar, third straight, fourth straight win in the UFC. He is a guy that people probably don't recall or don't remember or don't know is fighting next weekend at UFC 276, so two weekends from now, at UFC 276 against Uriah Hall in a fight that if he wins that, he's then a top 10 fighter. People aren't out here advocating, pushing, backing, stumping for Andre Muniz the way they are for Kevin Holland, despite similar resumes. I would argue despite Muniz having a better resume than Kevin Holland overall, because he's 16 and one in his last 17 fights. And that one loss is to a guy that's currently a UFC light heavyweight, Nazimat Merzikhanov, coming off a flying knee knockout of Tafon Chukwi. So I don't know what it is. It, it again brings me to the question. It again brings me to the dilemma that I face with people like Kevin Holland and, and others. What is it that separates good fighters? What is it that takes an individual like Holland or an individual like Sean O'Malley and elevates them to the point that fans and media push and advocate for them harder, greater, quicker than quieter athletes that have similar success or greater success. I bring O'Malley into this because I think to me he is the greatest example in the last few years of a fighter that benefited from this. He came off Contender Series and there was the Snoop Dogg clips and the Welcome to the Sugar Show and all of those things and he blew up right away. And credit to Sean for understanding the moment, understanding the value of doing the things that he subsequently did, shows up at the 
open workouts for one of the events on his own and makes an appearance is very quick to activate and be involved in Twitch is very present on Instagram and knows his market, right? Knows his audience. So goes out and it is the weed and the games and very much stays in his lane and drives it hard. But he is a guy that when he was coming up, Corey Sandhagen was coming up on a parallel track, similar times. Sandhagen debuted a little bit after Sean O'Malley did. O'Malley goes out, gets two wins over guys that no longer in the UFC didn't really have any real success in the UFC and people are all in. This is the next guy at Bantamweight. Corey Sanhagen debuts, beats Austin Arnett on short notice in, in North Carolina. Great finish. Lots of body work. Shout out to Corey Sanhagen. And in his second fight, survives a deep armbar attempt to get a second round finish over Yuri Alcantara, who was a guy that was ranked at Bantamweight for a long, long time. And an experienced guy. Kind of fits the Jacques Array versus Kevin Holland mold. Not as good as he was, but we know the quality that he was. And yet Corey Sandhagen, because he's quiet, because he's not all over Instagram, because he's not showing up at open workouts, demanding an opportunity, demanding the spotlight, courting the media, becoming a media darling, nobody was talking about him. But fast forward to today and Corey Sandhagen has been one of the top bantamweights in the division for the last couple of years and Sean O'Malley is still working his way forward. And if you want to argue that it's because Sean has opted to take the, the slower path to work his way forward as he progresses contracts and things like that, maybe, but I think it's also a testament to the skill. And it makes me, it's, it's one of those things that makes me question the focus, that makes me question, not of the athlete, but of the media and of the audience and, and, and how those things blend and work and and stand against each other i guess because for me as i've said the performance is all that matters i don't i'm not combing fighters instagrams i'm not i i don't care what they do outside of the cage outside of it being like training related and where they're if you know if they're switching gyms or working with different people that's the only stuff i care about and so Again, I, I pose it to you, dear listeners, faithful audience. If you have some insights, if you can speak to this from your own perspective, from your own experience, I am all ears because this really is, and I said it just a little bit ago, endlessly fascinating to me as somebody who just cares about results, who just cares about performance, and who spends so much time and energy and effort chronicling performances and remembering performances and tracking performances that when a guy like Kevin Holland has a second very good effort at welterweight and I see contemporaries and colleagues and people that I know and respect and consider friends rush out and say get this guy a top 15 opportunity he's proven it before at well middleweight let him prove it again at welterweight my immediate reaction is what why how come? Who did he? What? Who did he beat? What are we? What? Are, this doesn't happen for anybody else. And so I want to know these answers. I want to try to understand. I want to try to learn and expand my, my viewpoint on this. Because clearly, I'm the outlier. Clearly, 
I'm alone in this. Maybe not alone in this, but clearly I'm one of the people kind of on the island of I don't get it. And I want to try to get it, at least to understand it. You're probably not going to convince me that this is why and that Kevin Holland deserves these opportunities faster and quicker than people that have put in more time but have less of a personality. But I'm here to listen. I'm here to learn. I'm here to try to understand. Because I don't want to always be the guy that's angry and, and rallying against people and railing against ideas. What I want to be is the guy that furthers these conversations and that has these conversations and tries to understand both sides of these arguments and both sides of these situations. Because I know mine, but I'd like to know yours.